0: or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because, yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite, like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 you want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. To choose your free offer and get that twenty dollars off. Butcherbox.com slash IF Podcast with code IF Podcast. I will put all this information in the show notes.
1: New customers can use the code CLEAN for all 20 for 20% off their first order. BeautyCounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome.
0: This is episode number 194 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen?
2: I am doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm good last night had my much belated birthday dinner with my family that was that it was good it was very much like a melanie dinner
2: what does that mean a melanie dinner so i had for the appetizer kangaroo oh my gosh i don't even know where you get that and that i don't okay i'm i do eat meat so i don't know why a kangaroo would make me sad I know, I know. Why? Why is? Why was I like? Oh, it's a normal thing to eat in Australia. I guess it is, and it's silly to to feel that way about like one meat over another meat if you're if you're eating meat. And I also think kangaroos might be kind of mean.
0: I think they are, and I think there's also like a kangaroo population issue in Australia. Oh,
2: I just know when we used to watch like America's Funniest Home Videos as a family. Did you ever watch that? Yes. Whenever there was a kangaroo, I'm like, oh, he's going to kick somebody. I know. And if they were standing by the river, I'm like, oh, they're going to kick him in the river.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so funny. For people who are
2: interested, it's a, it's a lean red meat. Does it remind you of beef when you eat it?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a little bit gamier. So so that was the appetizer. For the entree, I had rabbit. <laughs> 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 And then for the dessert, I didn't even ask them for this, but they brought me out a happy birthday plate and a fruit bowl with just berries. I was like, this is the only thing I would eat for dessert. And the waiter was like, I
2: think after two hours, I realized that. (laughs) (laughs) So like you didn't have any sides. You just had the kangaroo meat itself and the rabbit meat itself. And steamed spinach. Okay. And
0: then for the wine... I brought Dry Farm Wines, but I don't like bringing my own wine because I know servers get really annoyed having been a fine dining server myself for five years. So if listeners are curious for restaurants, how I deal with wine at restaurants, I bring Dry Farm Wines, but then I pick a restaurant that has a really good wine list and I vet the menu when I get there. And if there is an organic wine from Europe, I will drink that. So... I had an organic wine from Europe by the glass. And then my dad, like halfway, my dad always does this, like halfway through, he just orders a bottle. Like out of all the bottles, he picked an organic wine without even realizing it. So it was wonderful. I had that.
2: Now, see, I actually have taken special wine to restaurants before that have like a corkage fee. Yeah. you know, I I don't mind if I want to have a certain wine. If I do do it, I will like basically add... In my head like another hundred dollars to the bill and tip on that yeah you tip based on if they had ordered the one that makes sense yeah i worked as a server too that's actually where chad and i met did i ever tell you that we were waiting tables you waited tables together yeah at the same restaurant that's where we met back in 1990 it was the summer of 1990 he was 19 i was 20 and we were both waiting tables at a restaurant down by the river we were babies but yes whenever you have like a special deal any kind of special deal You want to tip on the amount that it would have been if you didn't have (laughs) the special deal.
0: We could make this like an entire like server podcast.
2: (laughs) I'm a generous tipper. Although I will say one of my pet peeves, it was whenever tips are automatically included. That bothers me because I would have always would have tipped better, but it makes me annoyed. If they do that, then I just add to it. I don't. If someone puts a gratuity on there automatically, I'm like, well, sad for you because that's all you're getting. I, I would have tipped you more. I don't know. That's just one of my pet peeves because I, I never added, Even though you could, sometimes at certain party types, I never added. Sometimes I was regretful that I hadn't, but oftentimes it was worth it. Like usually it was. Actually, one of my favorite things
0: now about, and I'm so grateful for this, but being like financially stable from all of the, like the podcasts and the books and all of that, is that, that I, I'm like,
2: I can afford to tip. And it's like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> oh, me too. It may, it brings me so much joy. I'm the same way. I love to, to tip well. But again, like I said, someone automatically adding a gratuity is one of my pet peeves. I don't know why. Just I'm like, I would have been more generous. But oh, well, you chose that. Okay. Yeah. I guess because it's like forced upon you. Yeah. I like to be generous because I want to be. Yeah. That makes sense. That is a ve- very Melanie meal. I know. That's the type of restaurants I look for. I don't even know where you go to eat that food. <laughs> Yeah, it's called Canoe in Atlanta.
0: Highly recommend it. Well, I've heard of that. I've heard of it. Oh, you you have? Oh, right, because we're both from. Well,
2: well, I lived in the Atlanta area. Yeah. What part of Atlanta is it in?
0: I should know this. Is it like Buckhead? No, it's like this little area that's like an area that's not Buckhead. I don't know. There's another restaurant right by it that I've been to called Old Vining's Inn. So it sounds like Vining's. It oh oh that's probably it. Yeah. I would predict you were in Vinings. (laughs) I think so. I I believe that is correct. So that's
2: great. Good times. Well, I'm glad you had a good dinner. I did.
0: Of course, when the dinner first started, the waiter came over and he was like, I hear we're celebrating your birthday. And then my mom was like, yes, her. And then she like explained, like proclaimed my age to the entire restaurant. I was like,
2: thanks, mom. Thank you. Embrace it. Embrace the age. Yes. Well, perhaps. (laughs) I'm telling you that it's going to keep getting higher. And then you, (laughs) or unless we invent
0: like time travel or I don't know, I'm interviewing Mr. Like some crazy longevity person. I think maybe he has some secrets.
2: All right. Is he, he's crazy or his ideas are crazy or he likes crazy longevity. I'm trying to determine which part is crazy.
0: Crazy. And like, he's, I don't He's not crazy, but he invests in like, longevity technology. So I think our conversation is going to be about like avatars and that type of stuff.
2: So really kind of out there, but like future, futuristic kind of stuff. Like the technological future of longevity, like what that actually looks like. So I'm pretty excited. Well, we do have robot vacuums now. So, you know, we're pretty much in the future. I dreamed about my robot vacuum last night. So that's really funny that you said that. That's funny. I don't have one. Well, see, my house is weird. I have like a sunken living room right in the middle. It's like a two-story sunken living room. And you come in the foyer and you step down to it and then you step up to the dining room or step up to the kitchen. And it might sound weird, but it's beautiful. My house was built in 79. But I'm like, I don't know where I would put a robotic vacuum because it can't go up these little stairs.
0: Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. So, Well, you could get the one that makes a map of your house and then you could map it so that it doesn't fall. And then you could um, get like two, like one on the lower,
2: one on the upper. Well, I would need one for the master bedroom in the foyer. One for, I mean, I've got all, it's crazy the way the rooms go around. Yeah. <laughs> I would need see, one, two, three, four. I would need five. <laughs> five robotic vacuums. Okay. Maybe not. <laughs> you know what's funny? Chad loves to vacuum. I got one of those Dyson that it's, the cordless that plugs in where there's little ones. I had all these credits for Best Buy because we bought a washer and dryer. And if you put it on their credit card, you got all these credits. And I'm like, all right, I'll do that. And so I was able to get this Dyson really expensive vacuum for very cheap. And so Chad will go grab it. He had never once in the lifetime of knowing him gotten out our big vacuum and vacuumed the house. But like every day or something, he'll go grab that little cordless vacuum and go around the house and vacuum stuff still. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he did it this morning. I was actually trying to watch TV, and he's vacuuming. I'm like, look, I'm not even going to complain. That's so funny. I'm just going to sit here and pause the TV and not worry about it. The man's vacuuming. So <laughs> I've got a robot vacuum. It's called Chad.
0: That's, that's great. I, I actually did just buy – you know what else Dyson makes? They make vacuums, and then they, they expanded their, <laughs> they expanded their products and made something very specific.
2: Well, I know they have a hair dryer. What is it? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a hair dryer, and a... apparently they
0: put a lot of like research into the science of hair dryers to make this crazy hair dryer. I got it. It's incredible.
2: Okay, now see, I'm a little mad now because I had the option to choose that for something that I might want, and I did not choose that. Oh, it's it's really wonderful. So I'm like, because I like, I got a good hair dryer. I don't need. I got the straightener too, and the straightener is
0: okay, but the hair dryer. I'm like everybody needs this hair dryer. How is it special? I don't know. So it it looks really strange. Yeah, it's weird. It's like like a donut kind of. It has like this. I don't even know how it works. It has like this like circle. It looks very futuristic, and the and the air comes through. I literally have no idea where the air is coming from, but it it blows out of this hollow circle thing, and then yeah, it's it's light, easy to hold, and it just dries my hair really fast. And apparently, the science that they did is they make sure it never changes, like the temperature is like very tightly controlled of the air. So it doesn't ever like overheat your hair.
2: I don't know. It's really amazing. Well, now I'm super sad that I didn't choose it next time. (laughs)
0: So shall we um, jump into everything?
2: Yes. Let's get started.
0: All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Danielle and the subject is sleep and IF because this is the intermittent fasting podcast. If people didn't figure that out yet, Danielle says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I have a question about ADF, which is alternate day fasting and sleep. I don't struggle with the hunger on ADF, but it has a massive impact on my sleep. Even after doing it for a few months, I never adjust and have very poor sleep on these nights. Usually my sleep is really good. My background. I'm currently 121 pounds with muscle as I lift weights two times a week and would prefer to be around 112 to 114 pounds. I am 5'4", so this is around the lower end of a healthy BMI range. I usually have a three to four hour eating window each day and often longer on the weekends, eight hours. I eat everything, but mostly fish plus salad or vegetables or chicken plus salad or other meat plus salad or pasta during the week. And on weekends, I may go out for brunch and dinner. So I have a varied diet, but mostly whole foods with minimal junk foods. Although I never, ever deny myself anything, I always eat to satiety. I've never been overweight and I've always weighed around 116 to 120 pounds since age 14. I'm currently 34 years old. I actually have technically time restricted by eating unconsciously since being a teenager as I never ate breakfast anyway. With this way of eating, I easily stay at 121 pounds without any effort. Actually, I am usually slightly lighter, but I gained two pounds since lifting weights at the start of this year, but my inches are smaller. I can't seem to lose and stay at a lower than my current weight. This is where my body likes to be. I tried ADF again recently for two months and lost inches but not much weight, maybe four pounds, but couldn't maintain the eating style because of the impact on sleep. I gained back the little loss that I had after stopping again. Anything you suggest would be very helpful. I'm even happier being only five pounds less but can't even seem to do that easily. Thank you. And I love your show. I've listened every week since your first episode. You both carefully evaluate research and are critical of fads, which I really like. It's so lovely having an all women show that is thoughtful and scientific. And you're both careful not to overstep your expertise in the area of health, which is refreshing. I also really enjoy that you each have different opinions with some things and don't need to agree with everything the other says. I think this demonstrates your modesty about your wealth of knowledge on the topic and willingness to adapt beliefs based on
2: science. Danielle. All right. All right. Well, there's two things here, two directions that that I'm going to go. First of all, I'm going to address the actual first part of the question, but then I'm going to talk about Danielle's struggle overall. But first of all, let's talk about sleep with ADF. Danielle, I was the same way. I did not sleep on down days when I was doing ADF. And particularly, I was doing the full fast version of ADF. So I would have a 36 to 42 hour fast. And then the next day would be an up day. So I'd have at least two meals on the up days. That's how I recommend that you do it based on the research on ADF. I'm talking about the up day. But there's two ways you can structure your down day. One is the complete fast, like I said, 36 to 42 hours. The alternate way you can structure your down day is with a 500-calorie down day meal. So for somebody struggling with sleep, I would recommend that you try that version, the 500-calorie down day meal, and choose something that, you know, a lot of people have trouble, you know, you know, stopping at 500 calories. But if you choose something strategically, something that is very satisfying, it will fill you up, and you have it later in the day, closer to bedtime, you may find that you're able to sleep with with the down-day meal. That's just an option. It helps some people. Really, that is why I, I feel like I won't do ADF. I was not a good sleeper on ADF, no matter – it just it wasn't a good sleep combination for me. So I get it. And, you know, if I needed to do ADF, you know, for any certain reasons, if I felt like I, I needed it metabolically – or something like that. If I was stuck on a plateau and trying to lose more weight, I might would you know do it for a little while, but the sleep was an issue for me. A lot of people don't have that problem. They sleep great with ADF, whether they're doing the longer fasts or the down day version, but sleep is important and we're all different. So I, I completely get the struggle and that was one I faced as well. Now, let's talk about your weight. You're 5'4". Now, I know we're all different and there's no formula that, that's perfect. And I know that, you know, your frame size can be important. You might have like a really tiny, dainty frame. So, you know, I'm, I'm bearing that in mind. But I once heard a formula that that I kind of like as a rule of thumb. And it was 100 pounds for your first five feet and then five pounds per inch after that. So if we calculate, you know, your, that was to find your ideal weight. And I'm putting that in quotation marks, air quotes, ideal weight. Because as I said, there are a lot of factors at play. But for 5'4", using that formula, your, quote, ideal weight would be 120 pounds, and you're right there at 121. And the difference between 120 and 121 is like, you know, a good poop. I mean, that's, that's within your maintenance range. So I would consider 121 to be, you know, statistically the same as 120. You also said something that was very important, several things. First of all, you said, I can't seem to lose and stay at a lower weight than my current weight. One thing I have found over my years of maintenance, my years of maintaining within the range where I am now, this is where my body likes to be. And that really is why I threw my scale away. Because when I started thinking about my ideal weight using that formula that I just told you, that would put my ideal weight, I'm 5'5", I should be. 125 pounds at my ideal weight. So I got it in my head that I needed to see that number. And so I didn't weigh for a year and then I got on the scale and I felt like I was at my ideal weight because I was, you know, wearing a size zero jeans from the loft. And I, I knew I didn't need to lose more weight or really want to lose more weight. So I had it in my brain that I would see 125 on the scale. I got on the scale that day in 2017 and saw you know, 130.2 or some nonsense like that. And I was so mad because I wanted to see a different number. But then I was mad that I was mad. And that was the day I threw my scale away because I realized I was where my body wanted to be. I was maintaining within that range, wearing the clothes that I felt great in. You have talked about that you have lost inches. You know, when you started lifting weights, you gained two pounds, but your inches are down. This is just a great example of the fact that your body composition is better than it was. Your weight's up, but your inches are down. That means fat loss and muscle gain. So I think it's time for you to break up with the idea of needing to see a smaller number on the scale. Now, if you clearly, you know, look at yourself and see that you have excess fat that that you could tell is a problem, you know, that's that's another issue, but. You know, I've said this before, maybe not on this podcast, I'm not sure, but I know I've said it on the intermittent fasting stories, women are meant to be curvy and squishy. You know, I'm I'm at what I consider to be my ideal maintenance range weight. And I've got squishy parts on me. And and I think that's how we're supposed to be. And we can get so caught up in feeling like we have to be another way. You know, you want to you want to be in a, a weight range that that you can comfortably maintain without having to do things that don't feel right to you. So I just want you to th- to think about that. Uh, you know, maybe you, you're exactly where you need to be.
0: I love that. I feel like you threw away your skill
2: when we had this show, right? We did. Yeah. It was yeah, it was June of 2017, and we started the podcast in April of 2017, and you know I haven't weighed myself since then except till I got my shape of scale that I love so much, and <laughs> you know I went gray on the shape of scale right before Thanksgiving because I'd been to the beach a couple times, I'd eaten a lot more, and I could feel it. Gray meant you know slowly gaining a little weight, and then I didn't do anything drastic or freak out. I just Stayed on my normal routine. And then I saw blue, which is losing weight. So I gained a little weight. Then I lost that weight. Then Thanksgiving hit. And I went to the green. And I've been on the green ever since. And that's that's maintaining. And so I don't need to worry about the number. Sometimes I'm curious what the number is. But I, I don't want to play those games with myself of like, man, if only I could just see 125. Because that number is meaningless. Do you know what does the vacation mode do on the shape of skill? Okay, the vacation mode, yeah, I do know what that is because you put it on vacation mode when you're not going to be home or if you don't want to weigh. and it like doesn't count it against you with like your weighing streak and it really it's it's nothing. no, it's no big deal. It's just that Shapa will fuss at you for not weighing. And because you get off of your weighing streak, it wants you to weigh daily because that's really the the whole premise of it is that it keeps track of your overall trend. So it needs the data. So when I went to the beach and didn't have my scale, because I'm I'm not going to take my scale on vacation. I'm just not going to do that. (laughs) And so I put it on vacation mode. So then when I came back and got right back on it, I was off of vacation mode. Okay. So it's not... Making any changes to how it interprets your. No. Okay.
0: Cause I was like, I don't understand, you know, how that would work, but that makes sense. I love what you said. I-, I feel like people who, which is a lot of us, get fixated on numbers, you can kind of tell because the weight that you fixate on will be a very specific
2: number, like 121. She said she's always weighed between 116 and 120 since the age of 14. And, but she's still right there. She's still right there. She's like, oh, no, I'm 121. That's fabulous. (laughs) Especially if you started weightlifting. Yeah, my question is, because
0: she really wants to lose five more pounds, like, does that five pounds look any different on
2: your body? You know, like, why? That was why I said I mentioned the part about, you know, do you see five extra pounds of fat on your body? Or is it just you want to see that number on the scale? Because I can't imagine... If she's been 116 to 120 since the age of 14, I can't imagine that she sees five extra pounds of fat at 121. I love everything that you said about the ADF. I was wondering,
0: because when people write into us about ADF, it is hard to know which version they're doing. Because when I hear people doing ADF, I actually automatically assume they're doing the 500 calorie version. But do you assume they're doing
2: the full fast?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can't sleep fasted. <laughs> like I just can't. And I actually have a question for you, Jen, from me about ADF, because I've thought about this before about how, like if I could do ADF and like actually do it, like what would that look like? The only way I think I could do it and sleep would be if I did a 500
2: calorie meal, like you talked about and took a Benadryl. Well, see for me, Benadryl keeps me awake because I'm the opposite I have that ADHD brain, and Benadryl makes me wired. Yeah, which is, of course, because we are the complete opposite in everything. So I would be, like, awake for the rest of my life if I, like, all those Tylenol PMs and Benadryl, because that's the same, you know, same ingredient. But no, I cannot sleep on Benadryl. I I mean, I wouldn't do it. If something is making you not be able to sleep and you're having to take something like that, I wouldn't do it. This is just something that I've thought about, like— because I am not really a fan
0: of, I guess Benadryl is technically a pharmaceutical. I'm, I'm a fan of not doing things like that if you can at all help it. But I have thought before, I'm like, the
2: cost benefits of doing ADF with Benadryl. This is just something i pondered. I don't think you would like ADF because you wouldn't want like the up day. I feel like you wouldn't like the up day. You have to eat at least two meals, possibly three. I don't think you'd want to do that. No. <laughs> Yeah, ADF is not for you, Melanie. It's not for me right now either. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not ever going to say never. Like I won't say I will never do something again. But I feel like I won't do ADF again. And I'm not anti-ADF. And, and I don't think it's bad. Some people love it. They love it. It's, it's what works best for their body. Some people are scared of it. And I almost hate to say that I don't want to do it because then people are like, well, Jen doesn't like it. I'm not going to like it. I don't want to do it. And then they dread it. But then they start doing it and they love it. So I don't want people to use my feelings about it. I'm not anti it. And I know people who love it. A lot of my moderators do it and love it. I wish I was one of those people, but I'm not. Why? Why do you want to do it? Just to have a longer fast? Yeah, mostly.
0: If it works well for you, it seems like a really great lifestyle practice for those it works well for. So that's why. It's kind of like... For those people who do really thrive on like a vegan diet, it's like, I wish I was that person, but I'm just not. Interestingly, really quick tangent. My sister was there with us last night and she is vegan. And she said she had this huge realization that bread made her feel really awful. She was thinking it was the folic acid added. but I was like, but I don't know. I think it's probably the gluten. But I asked her, she said she had this huge epiphany pretty recently about just how much food makes her feel. I was like, what, you know, so what do you eat? And she was telling me the foods that she eats in her vegan paradigm. And they were actually, so if I were to do like paleo vegan, they were all that. It was like non-gluten containing grains, like rice, quinoa. It wasn't legumes. It was lentils, vegetables, fruits. I was like, this is very, very paleo. And I I just, I was just really exciting and interesting because it was interesting because she, she's like not really looked into paleo or doesn't really know any of the, well, I don't know if she knows, but she doesn't hardcore like focus on why certain foods may be inflammatory for certain people, but to see her naturally gravitate to the foods in a vegan paradigm that I would consider
2: to be the least inflammatory or least problematic was, it was pretty cool. Well, she's listening to her body and it makes sense, you know, that the foods that worked for your body, as far as like, you know, you, you gravitated to paleo foods and she has too. Because what I was telling her was
0: I wrote my book, What, When, Wine. Well, it released in stores in 2018, but I wrote the first version in 2014. And despite everything that's happening, like, I don't know, there's been so much research, so many findings since then. Really, like the food, actually really all of it, I still pretty much feel the same with everything that I've seen since then about the potential inflammatory nature of like the categories of foods. And then the same with the fasting. It's nice to see that (laughs) rather than being like, Oh, I thought this was like absolutely amazing and maybe it's not or yeah. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 20% off one of my favorite things for truly taking charge of your health, including testing something we talk about all the time, your insulin levels. So to live your healthiest and longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, that would be your body. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science backed recommendations on things that you can take control of to optimize your health. What I love about Inside Tracker is that Inside Tracker tests provide optimal ranges, not conventional ranges, for over 40 biomarkers, including magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol, ferritin, which is the storage form of iron that is rare for doctors to test, ApoB, 3 key female biomarkers, and something I am so excited about, Inside Tracker recently added insulin testing to their ultimate plan. Friends, I'm Thrilled about this. We talk about insulin all the time on this show. It is so relevant to your metabolic health and your lifespan. In particular, insulin tracking is an early warning sign for several chronic diseases. And is a key indicator of energy optimization. It can really let you know if your diet, if your fasting is working for you. You want to test your insulin. It is so hard to get doctors to test insulin, and now you can do it with Inside Tracker. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they have a strict, science backed approach to everything they do. If your specific biomarker level is unoptimized, InsideTracker actually provides recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. And for a limited time, our audience can get 20% off their ultimate plan, which includes testing that insulin, when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com slash podcast. And one of the things I really love about Inside Tracker is it helps you track all of your results, all of your tests over time. So you can see patterns, see your history. It makes predictions of where you'll be if you continue on your current trajectory. It is a game changer for making sense of your Labs. I am obsessed with Inside Tracker. Again, you can get 20% off their ultimate plan, including testing your insulin levels at if ifpodcast. And we will put all of this information in the show notes.
2: Well, good. I'm glad that she's figuring it out. Well, our next question is from Allison, and the subject is Sugar Cravings Once I Open My Window. Hi, Jen and Melanie. I love your podcast and have been if for about three weeks. I did IF about a year ago, but slowly went back to my old habits. During my first try of IF, I did a 16-8 window. I now have a five to six hour eating window. I've noticed that I don't have cravings during the fasted state, but once I start eating, all I want is sugar. I usually open my window with something healthy like avocado and tomato. But once I'm satiated from a hunger standpoint, a major sugar craving kicks in. Have you heard of this and do you have any suggestions?
0: All right. So Allison, thank you for your question. So I feel like there are probably three potential things that could be going on here. One is, especially since you talked about you did IF, but then you went back to old habits, it could literally be a habitual thing that you associate eating with sugar, with those types of foods. So it could just be at like the habit brain kicking in. Also similar to that, it could be, we know when we eat sugar that it releases feel-good neurotransmitters. So it could be just kind of like wanting a drug basically. And that can seem a little bit intense, but when they do studies in rats, for example, rats prefer sugar to cocaine, which is kind of crazy. So it could be that. It could be a comforting thing like eating sugar makes us feel, it sends our bodies like a safety signal because of the calorie nature of it. The third thing that it could be, which is actually very different is if she was opening her window with protein and then craving sugar, a case for that is often because we can get sort of like a reactive hypoglycemia from protein and the sugar helps balance that out, but she's opening it with avocado and tomato and feels satiated and then has the sugar craving. So I I don't think it's that case. I mean, it really sounds habitual. One of the things that I have heard is that the way you can identify if it's a craving is if it is for a very specific food and you just want that one food because, like, when like when you're hungry and it's not a craving, you can like think of like a lot of probably like whole foods that would taste really delicious. But if it's like, oh, I really want Skittles, or I really want cereal, or I really want this one specific thing, then it's quite often a craving. So, as for the advice,
2: well, first of all, Jim, what are your thoughts about the source of this? Well, first of all, one thing I think that is important is that she's only been doing IF for three weeks. So we do see people who are still in the adjustment phase have like a tendency to have that that drive to eat more during their eating window when they're first starting as their bodies are adjusting. And it has to do, you know, you're not well-fueled yet in the fasted state because your body's still becoming fat adapted. And so you open your window and then bam, you know, now you're craving that that energy that your body's not quite getting yet. And we people find that that calms down after they become fat adapted and adjusted to fasting. So I don't know if that's what, you know, part of what's happening for you, but it, it could be because the timing is right. But also, I mean, you know, I still get sugar cravings every day. Sometimes, well, I mean, not every day, but I, I do like to have something sweet, but I, I don't think of it as a negative. I think of it as, why does every human crave something sweet and and why have we decided that that's bad and and wrong if we all do it so what i do and I, you know i've discovered if you've been listening to the podcast for a while you know that too much sugar gives me restless legs so i'm mindful of of what i choose and what i eat but i do not beat myself up for wanting something sweet maybe i have a couple of medjool dates that satisfies that craving for something sweet. Closes my window beautifully. I've been having smoothies to close my window. Now, these are smoothies made with whole foods, really high quality foods. I talked about them before. I'm, I'm loving daily harvest smoothies. If you go to the favorite things tab of jenstevens.com, I have a link there. But they're really high quality ingredients. You know, it, it satisfies my need to have something sweet. They don't have any added sugar. They're sweetened with things like a banana or dates. And they also have things in there to balance it out like chickpeas, which might sound weird, but it's delicious. So it balances it out with some protein and it's after my meal. You know, yesterday I actually had some vanilla ice cream because we had some still in the freezer from the holidays. And I just had a little bit and it wasn't a problem. So I want you to think about this. If you're like binging on low quality sugar things like, you know, packs of cookies, then you know obviously that would not be a good long term strategy. But if you were like, you know, I love cookies and I have cookies and I'm gonna, I'm craving a cookie and I'm gonna have one. Or or choose something, you know, if, if you don't think cookies serve your body well, then think of something that would and have that. You know, Melanie loves pineapple that would meet her sweet craving. Don't feel guilt from it just because maybe you think that that we're not supposed to have anything that tastes sweet. I don't agree with that idea.
0: Oh, it's so interesting with fruit. Like some people, that works really well. Like for me, it works really well. But some people, that makes them more hungry. So knowing like what type of sweet. So between the more simple sugars found in fruit compared to the more complex sugars found in something like well, if you made like a, I'm paleoifying it, but if you made like a cookie out of you know like starches, although that, that would have sugar in it. So I guess that would be all of them. One thing you could try is opening, because she says, okay, she opens with avocado and tomato. So I know I said that some people eat protein and then they crave the sweet because they need it to help process the protein without having a reactive hypoglycemia response. one thing you could do is open with avocado and tomato and protein. So like opening with protein, because protein is extremely satiating and you might find that opening with that and a fat, which would be avocado, you might have less of the
2: craving, but yes, I, I like what you said about that. We have so much guilt around around the whole idea, you know, of wanting to eat something sweet. I mean, okay, I do think that, like you, you mentioned before, we know about the rats and the, that you know, I'm talking about just, you know, refined sugar, you know, they'll just go to it more than just cocaine. So, and some people do have, the, you know, the areas of their brain that light up and they consider themselves to be, you know, sugar addicts and they need to not have sugar. And I'm talking about sugar itself. But then some people have taken it to the point where they're like, well, anything like fruit, anything sweet is bad, and no one should ever have any of that. And I mean, I'm not going to say that there aren't people that need to avoid that. And I understand if someone says to me, I can't eat fruit, fruit is bad for my body. You know, I believe you. But I don't think we need to be caught up in the paradigm that craving something sweet means I'm bad and weak. The only context I would add, and it's 100%,
0: like it's not a moral thing. It's not bad and weak. The only caution I would add is if you are following a super high fat, super low carb diet and you have a craving for something sweet, this is just something I thought for a really long time, but I think it's best if, if you've just had like a really high fat meal and you're craving something sweet, I don't think it's the best to combine super high fat with sugar in that situation. So I like to personally, I would like write it out with something like stevia or something like that, and then bring in carbs in the more of the context of not a ketogenic diet.
2: That's just something I felt for a long time. That's someone who is purposefully being ketogenic.
0: Yeah. Cause I think what happens a lot is, and I've said this before on the show, but I feel like a lot of times people will do ketogenic diets and it's, not satiating and it's not really working for them that well. And they're, but they're eating like a super, super high fat version. And then they get like sugar cravings and then they're like, oh, whatever, I'll just eat all the sugar in that context. I think that can create a very unhealthy or a potentially damaging metabolic state, like in that acute moment. So I've always thought that it's kind of like coming off the keto diet if you want to bring back carbs. I think doing some fasting. So like addressing the craving with something sweet that's not actually sugar and then. Like doing your your fast and then the next day approaching it with more carbs in a a lower fat context.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's distinguishing between sugar craving and the craving for something sweet. Because for me, it's the craving to have a little something sweet. Like back in the day when I was trying keto, I made like keto cheesecake. And that satisfied the craving for something sweet. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm assuming you probably made it with whatever all that stuff was. I don't know. all the all the artificial stuff that <laughs> you were using back in the day with that so anyway but but I, I still you know i always had that little taste for something sweet that i needed but i don't think of it as a negative or a weakness
0: yeah and that's why i personally like i was doing low carb for a long time and i i think i did for a while see it as like a weakness or something like you just said but then i realized i was much happier doing intermittent fasting and then having all the, all the sweet that I wanted in the form of fruit and, you know, satiating that at night in my eating window. And that worked really well for me. And this was, I switched to a a lower fat
2: context for it. The, the smoothies, we're really enjoying them, Chad, and I'll split one, which is so funny because for a while, he's like, let's just have fourth of one and save it. And I'm like, we're not doing that because he he's one of those naturally thin people that has appetite correction. He's like, I only want a little bit. I'm like, well, then just throw it away. I'm making a new one tomorrow. We're not going to have a quarter of a smoothie every day. It is so funny. I mean, he's the person that'll leave like two green beans on his plate. Yeah, I can't do that. Just eat the green beans. Eat the green beans. Especially like when I go to restaurants,
0: like... It's completely cleared. I always look around and people, you know, a lot of people do like
2: not finish everything. And I'm like, I do stop eating. Sometimes I'll be like, you know, I've had enough of this chicken. Do you want the rest of this piece of chicken? And I'll hand that to him. He might eat it or I just won't finish it. But, you know, two green beans or a quarter of a smoothie. No, (laughs) I've always finished everything like my entire life. Really? I don't always, but I tend to if it's something I'm really enjoying. Yeah. Anyway, that's funny. Shall we go to the next question? Yes. All right. So this comes from Nelson.
0: I don't have the subject, but Nelson says, Hey, ladies, I love your show. To make a long story short, I discovered IF. This was a really old question, but I came across it and I just was like, Oh, I have to read this. This is crazy. He says, I discovered IF by a group of extras at a shoot for Manhunt for Netflix where Melanie's name was mentioned early spring 2019. This just cracks me up because I used to do that all the time, like doing extra on shows for like TV and Netflix and stuff like that. So it's funny to me that people were talking about me in that situation. That is funny. Yeah. It's so funny. Like I could have been on that set. Well, 2019, 2019, I could have been. He says, I lost over 100 pounds now. It's not only the lifestyle I love. What I love is that I made it fit me. Do you know what I mean? Nothing drastic, just delay, don't deny. So simple. Now for my question, I'll reach maintenance at 180. I'm 224 today. I was 330. My wife thinks I'm too skinny. My mom too. Everybody around me is over 275 pounds and now they're all wondering what I am doing. I gave them your books, but my wife wants me heavier. What do I do? By the way, I am a 56-year-old father of eight boys, married for 26
2: years. Happy fasting. Thank you for all that you do. This is a great question, Nelson. Thank you for sharing it. And I'm going to share a personal story from my life when I first was approaching my goal in 2015. So keep in mind that I had been 210 pounds most recently, and I had been, you know, up in that 180 to 200 range, up and down, around in there for a few years prior to hitting 210 and realizing that I was obese. So my husband had been used to seeing me heavy. So then when I was getting close to my goal weight, my initial goal was 135 pounds because that was 75 pounds down. It seemed like a number that like, if I ever could just hit that 75 pounds down, 135 seemed like perfection. Then I got there and I'm like, all right, I'm at my goal. But then I realized I did still have some fat to lose, which is true. I did. And I did go on to lose at least, you know, five more pounds around in there to hit around 80 gone. But the point I'm making is when I hit that 135, my husband said, you're too skinny. And and he had seen me way less than that at, you know, early in our marriage when I was younger. And he never said I was too skinny then. But after seeing me at 210 and then around the 180s for a while, suddenly it was a big change to see me at 135. So he was like, yeah, you don't lose any more weight. Do not lose any more weight. And, you know, I ignored him, did what, <laughs> did whatever I wanted to do. And he doesn't think I'm too skinny, even though I am two sizes down from where I was at that day, you know, that I hit my goal. And when he said, don't lose any more weight, I'm two sizes down from that day. And he does not think I'm too skinny now. So people have to adjust to the new you. And so... Choose a weight where you can healthily maintain and feel good in your skin. Don't fixate on the number. You know, maybe it's 180. You know, you're 224 today. Maybe it's 190. Maybe it's 175. You don't know. Just let your body decide, you know, what feels right to you and what's easy for you to maintain. And when you get there, your family will adjust to your new size. Our bodies do not want to be too skinny. So it's it's really unusual that anyone would lose below a weight that is healthy for your body. So I wouldn't stress out about that. Let them adjust, and and they'll see. What do you think about that, Melanie? Yeah, I think that's great.
0: And I think maybe when it comes up, something that you can focus on rather than debating the weight is shift the focus to talking about how you feel like health wise, like how you're feeling better and you know, have that discussion rather than trying to be defensive about the weight or the size.
2: Right. We hear this a lot, you know, that people say, well, now everyone around me tells me I've lost too much weight. And I'm getting too skinny. And whenever anybody asks that, I say, all right, what's your height? What's your weight? And they're always in a, a healthy BMI range when, when this, they're saying this. I've never once had anybody say a weight that puts them below a healthy BMI range. It's just that I really think it takes time for people to adjust to the new you. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get
0: 15% off my favorite blue light blocking glasses ever. So I am often asked what are my favorite quote biohacking products and something I truly, honestly cannot imagine my life without are blue light blocking glasses. So in today's modern environment, we are massively overexposed to blue light. It's a stimulating type of light, which can lead to stress, anxiety, headaches, and in particular, sleep issues. Blue light actually stops our bodies from producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So our exposure to blue light can completely disrupt our circadian rhythm, make it hard to fall asleep, make it hard to stay asleep, and so much more. Friends, I identify as an insomniac. I would not be able to sleep without my blue light blocking glasses. I also stay up late working and wearing blue light blocking glasses at night has made it so I can do that and still fall asleep. My absolute favorite blue light blocking glasses on the market are Bon Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. Bond Charge makes an array of blue light blocking glasses in all different designs so you can truly find something that fits your style and reap all of the benefits of blue light blocking. They have their clear computer glasses. You can wear those during the day, especially if you're looking at screens all day to help with anxiety, headaches, and stress. They have their light sensitivity glasses. Those are tinged with a special yellow color, scientifically proven to boost mood, and they block even more blue light. Those are great for the day or evening. And then they have their blue light blocking glasses for sleep. Those are the ones that I put on at night while working before bed. Oh my goodness, friends. It's something you truly have to experience. You put on these glasses and it's like you just tell your brain, okay, it's time to go to sleep soon. They also have amazing blackout sleep masks. Those block 100% of light with zero eye pressure. I wear this every single night, and I don't know how I would sleep without it. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com with the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. All right, now back to the show.
2: So this is from Rebecca, and the subject is blood work slash glucose. I have been clean fasting since March 1st of 2020 and am amazed how fit I feel and how loose my clothes are. I thought I was doing well prior until I realized by putting Stevia in my coffee, eating sugar-free breath mints, I was compromising my fast. I know now. Here is my question. I was watching my A1C levels climb since the majority of my dad's side of the family all have diabetes, all of them. I was watching my level climb, and a year ago, my A1C reached 5.7, which is pre-diabetic. Since I got on track, it is now 5.5 for five months, which I thought would even drop more when I started the clean fast in March. Shouldn't that have dropped more? And also, my glucose level went from 89 in January 2020 to 100, and I fasted 15 hours. Any suggestions as to why that went up? Thank you so much. Sincerely, Rebecca. And she said, by the way, I have your book, Jen, and also pre-ordered your new book coming out this month. I also bought The Obesity Code. So that lets me know she sent this in in June. So at the time that she wrote this, she was only three months into intermittent fasting. That's important. Awesome.
0: So thank you so much, Rebecca. So for listeners who are not familiar, HbA1c is, so we have our blood sugar that we can monitor, which is in your blood. Um, and then we have our HbA1c, which shows longer term effects of elevated blood sugar levels on our red blood cells. The turnover rate is three months. So we tend to see changes in HbA1c on like a three month timeline. So I'm so excited because I finally released my first episode. I, get, had, I had I released it last time we recorded, Jen, with Nutrisense? I'm not sure if it had been released yet. So I'm really excited because I actually just released two days ago, finally, 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 the episode, because you know, Jen and I have been talking about CGMs so much on this show recently, which are continuous glucose monitors, which give you a real-time picture of your blood sugar levels throughout the day. And I interviewed NutriSense, There's two different companies that I was trialing. There's NutriSense and Levels. I'm interviewing both of them and bringing them both and releasing episodes with both of them. But I did release just now the episode with NutriSense, which is making CGMs accessible to the general public. And the reason I'm talking about this is we dived so deep, Rebecca. If you listen to that episode, I think it will help you so much. We went really deep into HbA1c blood sugar levels higher fasting blood sugar levels while fasting. Like she says that she's fasting 15 hours and now her blood sugar was up from 89 to 100. I will say one of the biggest things I've learned from wearing a CGM, because I've been wearing one for about a month and a half now, is just how for a lot of people and for me, how much your blood sugar can change throughout the day. So like you could measure one moment and it might be 89 and then you might wait five minutes and measure it and it might might be a hundred. It can really change that much. Mo- it really does. Yeah. Based on a lot of factors. So interesting, about, interesting thing about interesting hb and c is that's why it is sort of a better marker because you are seeing the longer term effect. That said, in the interview that the founder of NutriSense, her name is Kara um, Collier, she was actually talking about some of the potential issues with HB1C. And there is some debate about factors affecting it and how reliable it is. But all of that said, it is possible. And this is something that I asked Kara because a lot of people doing fasting and or low-carb diets actually find that they start having higher fasted blood sugar levels. So usually around like 100, kind of what Rebecca is experiencing. And the question I asked Kara this, I also asked at levels, her name was Casey. I asked her as well. I am very curious about people who are doing fasting, and we don't know if this is the case with Rebecca, but a lot of people who are doing fasting, doing low carb and experiencing a slightly elevated fasted blood sugar. The flip side is they don't tend to be getting the huge spikes. So like when they're eating they're not getting these crazy high blood sugar levels, but the fasted blood sugar may be at a higher baseline. And I am personally really curious, and I don't know that we have the answer to this yet about you know the cost benefit of all this and how it is affecting things like HbA1c and things like that. The point of all this is, Rebecca, if this does continue to be a thing, especially since you really want to take charge of this, I would really, really recommend getting a CGM if that is... A possibility for you, you can go to melanieavalon.com slash Nutrisense CGM and the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 15% off. And they do have a two-week one. I don't think the code works for that, but they have a two-week one and they have like three months and six months and different plans. But anybody who is trying to figure out their blood sugar levels, their HBA1C, their fasting, the foods they're eating, how it's affecting them, that the CGM might really, really help. So her question is, any suggestions as to why it went up? It could be the fasting. It could be just when you tested it, like when you took that blood sugar draw. It could be that maybe if you had tested it at a slightly different time, that it would have been in the 80s as well.
2: That was mind-blowing to me from wearing the CGM. And, and so then I was like, well, th- this is now a meaningless question because it, it just really could have been five minutes earlier. You could have had, you know, or 30 minutes earlier. It could have been completely different. It's really shocking, actually. It really surprised me a lot how much it it varied from minute to minute, even in the fasted state. Like you assume that when you're fasted, it's just steady there. But no, your body is constantly keeping it within this range. And, you know, your liver dumps some more glycogen. And you're, I mean, it it just keeps going up and down within this range.
0: Yeah. And that's something that's really good about doing like NutriSense is you have an app with it and you can see like it has like tables and charts. So even if it's changing, you can see like where the general line is and then it gives you scores. It does all the analyzing for you. So and it kind of makes sense of the data to let you know if things are potentially a problem or not. The other thing really cool about NutriSense is they actually, and you can opt out if you don't want this, but they actually talk to you <laughs> via email or via chat, I think in the app. And give you advice and guidance and can interpret your results for you, which I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, it's very, very tailored to to helping figure things out. So if you like really want to figure it out, that could definitely be something that could help you. Like I found for me that I wasn't like super happy with my fasted blood sugar levels. And I started supplementing with berberine that had a profound effect on my fasting blood sugar. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the berberine that I'm taking. It's the thorn brand,
2: but, but yeah. And I also want to put out there, we don't know, this is really important. The A1C is a measure of your past two to three months of blood sugar. It, it's like gives you that like kind of average. All right. So it had been 5.7. It got to 5.5 And she said she thought it would drop even more when she started the clean fast in March. So I don't know when her A1C was tested. Like she's only been doing clean fasting for three months. So I imagine that her A1C was tested at some point within that three months of the clean fast. So that's really not much time. It takes people a lot longer to see positive changes in their A1C than just, you know, at first. Because our bodies are... we have the adjustment period for intermittent fasting. Our bodies are doing a lot of changing, a lot of healing. So it's not like it it happens overnight. Like now I'm fasting, everything's fixed. No, it might take a year for you to see. You see, see the trend over time. Maybe get it tested every three months. And hopefully every three months, you'll see that trend getting better. But not at first. I mean, and she's still really right there in the beginning. She doesn't mention at all what she's eating. So if what you're eating
0: you're massively spiking your blood sugar. And depending on how long it's taking for that blood sugar to come down, that could be a huge factor. I don't think people can always fast themselves out of foods that aren't working for us. So hopefully that was helpful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at iofpodcast.com/slash episode one ninety-four. Oh, listeners, for episode two hundred, we are going to do an Ask Me Anything episode. So if you have any questions, you can ask Jen and I anything about like our personal lives or anything, our opinions on whatever. So just send us those questions and put AMA in the title so we know that that's what it's for. You can get all of the stuff we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. You can get, oh, I wanted to mention because I was talking about Dry Farm Wines in the beginning. You can get a bottle for a penny for Dry Farm Wines at dryfarmwines.com
2: slash ifpodcast. Ooh, can I tell you what I got, Chad, for Christmas? Dry Farm Wines? I did. You did? Oh, yeah. I've ordered him some dry, you know, I'm not drinking wine right now. (laughs) But he's drinking wine. And we've like, he has slowly gone through my dry farm wines because that's all he wants to drink now. And so I was like, I'm going to get him some dry farm wines. I'm doing that for my dad too. I love it. Does he drink red? Chad likes red. Yeah. He prefers red. I got him a box. Yeah. And you can get a gift box. I don't know if people know you can do that. You can send someone a gift box. Yeah. You can do like a a one-off. Yep. You don't have to send a subscription. I've been... (sighs) Gifting myself because I've been going faster than my subscription. When I was doing that, I was going faster than my subscription. I would just go in and change the next ship date. Yeah, I've I've done that and I've done the gift box. But anyway, so I've got to try to figure out how to like intercept the box before he sees it because he's home, you know, for the semester. He's grading final exams. So I'm just like going to be standing at the curb waiting for you to deliver it. Don't look. Don't look while I grab sign for this heavy box. When I see that it's out for delivery, I'll be like, please go do a lot of shopping for me at the grocery store. Anyway, I just had to throw that in about Dry Farm Wines because we love it. Love them. Love them. So if you'd like to get a bottle for a penny, you can go to
0: dryformwines.com slash I have podcast and you can follow us on Instagram, the place to be with Jen and I. <laughs> Uh, I'm starting to have a time on my life there. I'm Melanie Avalon, Janice Stevens. I did actually, no, friends, for reals, follow me. I'm doing a lot of giveaways. So, like for the CGM episode, I'm giving away a CGM. Ooh, can I enter to win? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you win, I'll be like, nope. Oh, that's okay. Never mind. No, you can enter, enter, enter. And then when I do the drawing, I just, I cannot win. That's fine. Okay. I will die if it, if it lands on you. That would be so funny. That would be funny. No, every episode that I release now, if they have something that is like giveawayable, I'm asking them if they'll give it away. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So it's been CGM. So that giveaway will probably be over, but there might be another one going on when this comes out in January. Happy 2021, Jen.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Happy January 4th to you. We're recording this way in the past, but (laughs) I think we're all ready for some 2021. I think so. So, oh, and Jen is Jen Stevens on Instagram.
0: And I think that is everything. I think so too. All right. Well, anything else from you before we go? Still no. (laughs) I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox.
1: See you next week.